As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello and thank you for downloading this latest edition of the On Farm podcast. We're releasing this episode on Monday the 7th of September, which marks the first Monday of Scottish Food and Drink Fortnight 2020. Because of that, this whole episode is a wide-ranging chat with Chief Executive of Scotland Food and Drink, who ran the fortnight, James Withers. A quick reminder before we get started, though, we really do rely on you to tell people about On Farm, so we'd love your help. We're on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, so just uh, do a little search and you can find us. On Twitter, we're at on underscore farm UK, so please do share links to other episodes from there. Right, let's go. Here's James with us. Welcome, James. Thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure, Anna. How are you? Okay? I'm very well, thank you. Very well indeed. Good. Um, could you maybe just start by telling us a little bit about Scottish Food and Drink Fortnight and what it is and what it looks to achieve? Yeah, so the fortnight goes back quite a long way, not quite as far back as our uh, professional relationship has gone, Anna, but it goes back to about 2009. And the original driving thought was, can we pause at least for two weeks during the year and just reflect on what an amazing, diverse, larder and uh, business set and producer portfolio and product mix we have in Scotland and just celebrate that and it's taken lots of different forms over the last 10 uh, 11 years but it has become I suppose that real cause for for celebration it feels different this year because it's been a year like no other there's been lots of you know challenging years for the farming fishing food and drink industry 2020 seems to have created a whole new category for itself but it almost feels like it's even more important to take that opportunity this year just to reflect on everything that's good about the industry and hopefully um, I don't think the pride has gone this year at all but hopefully it might remind ourselves there's an awful lot of good amidst some really tough news headlines out there. We've actually just finished a series of podcasts in association with the Highland Show and RAS and um, all of that has really been about looking for the silver linings in in every cloud and you will have many of those the food and drink sector in Scotland has completely risen to the challenge in terms of keeping Scotland fed um have you got any particular examples that spring to mind of of, of people who've really kind of or businesses that have really have gone above and beyond during covid so I suppose a crisis is always a good test for any industry and any business and I feel unbelievably proud of how the industry stepped up. I mean despite real kind of disruption out there and lockdown and people who work in business wondering can I go to work, should I go to work, how do I get to work if I'm using public transport, the reality was other than a brief panic around toilet rolls and pasta which had nothing to do with Scotland's food and drink producers actually we've had food on the shelves 
fridges and freezers have been stocked. So at that basic level, keeping Scotland fed and watered, what an amazing job done. But I think it probably is those little things that, that sit beneath that. So it's been watching some companies that have helped stock food boxes for people who are vulnerable and who are shielding. It's looking at porridge bar makers who have been dropping off supplies to the local NHS uh, facility or hospital to you know, give the workers at least a little bit of culinary joy amidst an incredibly stressful period of work. And I think it's these little examples of businesses that have really bonded even more so with the community that they're in and helped um, just lighten the mood sometimes, provide a bit of relief or just do the core basics of getting food and drink to people when the normal distribution kind of fell apart or got really disrupted. So that's been pretty amazing. I remember a debate right at the start about who are key workers in Scotland? Well, hopefully no one in the country would doubt that the people that are farming our land and fishing our seas and producing and processing those products are absolutely key workers. And I think they've, they've shown that over the last five or six months. And presumably some of these amazing local stories are the reason behind the theme for this year's fortnight, which is I've been seeing on social media is local heroes. So was that inspired by everything that's happened as a result of COVID, do you think? Yeah, so local legends is what we've uh, is, is to, yeah, that we've we've put alongside. And and that is, I suppose, exactly that. I think, you know, I live on a street where I can see rainbow pictures in the windows. I've got uh, notes on windows saying thanks to the postman and the bin men and I think everyone has kind of reflected on the people that are in their community that are doing things to just make communities tick particularly at times of disruption or times of worry and stress and I think food and drink producers have been absolutely in, in that game and we've seen I think over the last probably 10 to 20 years certainly the times you and I have worked together we've seen definitely this growth of a local food culture and that desire to think about buying from the people that produce in your area and I think that's taken another step up during coronavirus and I think the idea of having this sort of local legends campaign is saying that there are many different people that have done an amazing job locally uh, heroes of all different types and colours and size and profession and the food and drink producers are part of that and this is just a chance in some ways to shine a light on that and say thank you to them but hopefully keep that momentum going and for the average punter out there, get them thinking about actually the positive impact that is made from them buying locally, not only the food and drink experience they can have themselves, but the impact that has on the businesses and jobs around them. I mean, and I've seen a few statistics, but the one I read this morning was from the Food Standards um, Authority. And it was saying that of the people that they surveyed, 35% of people have said that they have made more of an effort and in fact have indeed bought more local produce since COVID, um, which is a phenomenal statistic um, and hopefully one that, that will continue. How, how do you think we can all, as people who work in the food and farming, how can we all make sure that that statistic doesn't fall by the wayside and that people don't go back to their old habits? Yeah, I mean, I suppose that stat is good and what's worth recognising that it starts from a much higher base than would have been maybe 10, 20 years ago. So an extra, you know, more than a third of people wanted to buy even more, you know, starts from a point, and we've done loads of consumer research with 70% of people in Scotland want to make sure that they have local food available to them when they go into the local shop or their local restaurant or the local pub. Um, and I think it is part about... Um, in some ways, the fortnight is about two weeks of a real celebration. I think Scotland's getting mature enough that 
the fortnight should be actually 52 weeks of the year where we think about buying Scottish and think about enjoying the food and drink that's produced on our doorstep. And the magic within the fortnight has come. And I've seen some already flying about on Twitter just in the last 48 hours of people gearing up for the two weeks that, that, that um, you know, we're in the midst of. And that has been uh, Elon Don and Castle, I saw a tweet. They've opened a new restaurant and made it a real showcase of Scottish uh, products. We've got lots of the supermarkets doing different things. In years gone past, CalMac have really embraced it. So when, okay, we've got probably less people and tourists visiting out into the islands just now than normal, but it's those little parts of everyday life that can think about embedding that Scottish food and drink story into what they do. And a lot of what has happened previously in the fortnight is a lot of businesses have done that, but it's stuck. So to your point, how do we make sure that sticks? The fortnight provides a bit of that sticking point. To do something new that they see the benefits of over a two-week period and think, why on earth would we think about not doing this the rest of the year round and the other 50 weeks of the year? And I think that's one of the real values for me that Scottish Food and Drink Fortnight can have. Scotland Food and Drink as an organisation which supports food and drink businesses across the country. I noticed that quite early on in lockdown, you launched a, a new local directory. Was that in the planning before COVID or was COVID, did COVID accelerate the need for this to facilitate people who were already hungry for, for that local, those local connections? So COVID accelerated it massively. So, and it's really interesting what you can achieve in a crisis when the pressure's on, because if you talked about a big, you know, build a national platform for every single business that is supplying direct. So there's one single gateway for customers who are looking for people in their area that they want to buy local food from. Your average consultant would say, oh, well, that's maybe six months to a year. So this direction we did got built in about seven days. Uh, and it happened as a response to about, well, there are now, I think, about 350 businesses on there covering, you know, craft beer and spirits to fruit and veg and red meat and seafood, bakery products, the whole gamut that Scotland represents. But those businesses, many of them became e-commerce businesses overnight. So they sold into uh, independent shops that, that closed. They sold into bars and into restaurants and into hotel groups. And suddenly that conduit from getting their product from, you know, from the place they produced it to the customer disappeared and they had to go direct. So, you know, crisis can be the, the mother of innovation and that's absolutely what's happened. But again, to your point about, so how does some of this stuff that's been positive in coronavirus, and it's really difficult to use that word positive in the context of what's happened, but actually yeah. there have been some developments that will live on. And I think the next step is thinking about this big transformation into e-commerce. You know, the whole country's made a big step forward on that in terms of online shopping. We've made a massive leap towards being a cashless society as well. I don't carry cash much anymore. I use my phone or my card and businesses have to adapt to that. They've adapted to that during coronavirus. So how do we keep maintaining that? And the number of visits we've had from people coming to that directory, you know, and then going on to the businesses that are in there has been phenomenal. So I'm hoping we can keep the, keep the pace up on all of that as well. You and I have probably had this conversation many times over the years that, you know, decades ago, people had a connection to the countryside you know they would say oh my granddad used to work on a farm or my auntie you know she used to rogue rogue the fields in her summer holidays or whatever that that connection is eroding and people are now more distanced from the countryside and from farming so these urban people as uh, you know as we may refer to them as um are, are perhaps at a bit of a disconnect now there are many people trying to 
to create a connection, more of a connection. So the Royal Highland Education Trust are just one example. What what can Scotland Food and Drink and its members do using tools like the local directory to actually reach the people who matter, the people in urban areas who perhaps could benefit from engaging a little bit more and buying more produce that is produced in our production facilities and on our farms? Yeah, so I suppose this has been a challenge for um, for years, and I'm I'm a city slicker really. So I was, uh, as you will well remember, when I started NFUS, uh, it was your mind and others that I had to pick into to work out what on earth happened on your average farm. I was built, you know, I was born in a city, and in some ways, maybe I'm the kind of target audience, or at least I was. I think my sense is it's. Um, it should be easier now than it was. I think with the advent of social media, that ability to, to tap into the connections of people who work on the land and produce food. Uh, I happy to f- happen to follow your husband on Twitter and I noticed last night as he was bringing the harvest in, uh, in his cab of the combine was a lamb curry that you'd whipped together. So there's an inter- yes. that's kind of an interesting uh, insight <laughs> into uh, one just one example of how actually you've got a farmer there that's bringing in the harvest and there's a food story in there. Meanwhile, he's got a dish, you know, cooked up that he's eaten at the time. So it's little quirky things like that, which I actually think can make and the story more accessible than it was. I've always been of the view that there is actually a latent interest, particularly in kids, around farming and food. So my kids are are growing up at a frightening pace at the moment, and it's upsetting me greatly. I can't seem to slow it down, but they're 14 and 16 now. Take 10 years off that, I remember the books, that they the average kid's book. So often it was about farming and tractors and animals and food somehow we kind of lose that a little bit when they get older so I think the latent interest is there for us to tap into but we've got to be smart and I think we do it through storytelling and I think you know your podcast I think the work we can do with local directories I think all of that is about telling stories and I think people want to connect with that we just need to remind them of that yeah yeah absolutely that it makes a lot of sense and actually I hadn't really thought about the the, the childhood books you're so you're so right you know so many of these books focus on what happens in the countryside and and the food we eat and the the machinery that brings in that food that actually kids love it you know you mm-hmm. w- w- Willie my husband you know he gets all sorts of children desperate to have a ride in the combine because they're just fascinated by what goes on and I think we need to to try and and really harness that and, and engage um and speaking of engagement if if there's somebody listening who is a food producer they might make cheese they might make flour they might make gin how can they best engage with and make use of the resources that scott scottish food and drink fortnight provides to help their own pr but also to help the the wider cause of the fortnight so um there's a whole heap of toolkits and, and things that can be downloaded at the Scottish if you just type Scottish Food and Drink Fortnite into Google, it will pop up. I would encourage any producer that's out there that is either doing online or click and collect or direct delivery to make sure they're on they're on the support local.scot directory. And again, that's a dead easy form, fill it in and then hopefully the traffic that's coming in can be directed towards them. And I think it's really just trying to create some noise in and around the fortnight so we can do that on social media whether it's 
you know, Twitter or Facebook or, or Instagram or this whole other generation of social media I've yet to get my head around, which sounds like Snapchat and other things that my kids uh, talk to me about. So there's, so it's if you're doing something or you've got a story to tell and it can just be a wee snippet of a new product or a variation of what you're doing or a recipe example, you know, you can use that hashtag ScottFood420 uh, for this year and just start building up some of that noise. And I think the hope, well, the hope will be that that will drive more interaction for those producers and those brands. But there's a heap of toolkits available as well. So Scottish Food and Drink Fortnite website is, is probably the first place to, to go to. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, now, I know that, that this is this, this word I'm about to utter is actually a word that you like because it creates debate. And that word is veganism. We've talked about it in, in previous episodes briefly. Um, you know, we're all about, uh, on the On Farm podcast, we're all about sustainable food production. And that can in very much include red meat. But there's also, as well as, as, as kind of normal food production, as it were, there's, there's the organic sector as well. And, and I've noticed in st- other statistics that I saw this week that the whole movement during COVID and lockdown of people realising, hang on, you know, I'm not using my car as much. So I'm not, I'm not traveling by plane. People who want not necessarily specifically an organic lifestyle, but a lifestyle that is more sustainable and more wholesome, um, which is, I suppose, partly connected to local, but not exclusively connected to local. Um, what have you noticed in that kind of organic, with a with a small O, I suppose it would be, um, that kind of movement in recent months? So I think over a period of years, the local term almost um, took the place of what had been organic before. And I think this in part, it's about transition. So, you know, if you go back 20 years, the big... Um, issues would have been about food safety, actually. We lived in a period of, you know, salmonella scares and E. coli issues and, you know, BSE going back 25 years. That was all dealt with, addressed, and then food safety gets taken for granted. Then it's about animal welfare. You just, and, and there's huge advances in Scotland being a country that's pioneered farm insurance. Suddenly animal welfare, well, actually, you don't need to look out for products specifically high welfare because you've got to presume if it's from Scotland, that's a new baseline that's there. So I think the bar has just been lifted. And what has happened, and I think it's a testament to the work of producers, organic and conventional, that the quality of what they've done and the reputation that Scotland has built has mean that that word Scottish or Scotch or the saltire has become a bit of a byword for, for high quality. You know, organics is pretty steady, about 2% of, of, of all sales in, in retail in the UK is organics. Lifted a little bit, I think, over the last couple of years. Veganism's even even less than that. But there are there are products and opportunities for shoppers to connect around organics veganism or not as the case may be so i think the the work going into really scotland's brand is about saying you know we're not interested in uh, large volumes low cost and low standards other countries if they want to go down that road you crack on guys we are interested in really high quality some of it will be organic some of it won't some of it will be plant-based some of it won't but if you're interested in high quality good news you're in the right place or you're doing business with the right country and um, you know work with scotland and i think that's what's been the change over the last wee while and i think that's fed through into a greater national pride in and around food and drink which i don't think existed again going back to the early days when we were kicking around the circuit anna yeah, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. I, I remember my first day at NFU Scotland actually was 
a parliamentary event down at Westminster talking about milk prices. And I know dairy farmers are still fighting about milk prices. But the one of the good things that's happened in the intervening years is that consumers have got uh, more of an interest, I think, and more of, of a demand to have Scottish or British milk in their cheese and in their yogurt and in the carton, the milk carton itself. And I think that has definitely played a key part. Um, but now I, I'm getting a bit hungry talking about food. And I know that we had delivered to you um, a small package of Scottish goodies. Now, by no means does this represent every possible Scottish food and drink sector. Um, but can you talk us through the kind of the pro not not necessarily the specific brands you've got there, um, but some of the products you've got. I know you've got some jam that contains Scottish berries and some Scotch beef and various things. Can you maybe just talk us through it from a Scotland food and drink perspective and maybe in relation to the fortnight and, and, and why some of these sectors are so important to, to the Scottish food and drink sector? Yeah, sure. So when you dropped me that email saying that I fancy coming on the podcast, I was going to say yes anyway, but the deal was certainly sweetened when you said <laughs> you were going to drop around a bag of uh, some goodies. So uh, producer Dave dropped some off at the door not so long ago. It's actually quite a nice uh, mix of, I suppose, what makes Scotland uh, great. So I'm sat at my table here as I have been in lockdown for the last five, six months with various electronic devices, but the site is made much better by having uh, a portfolio of products in front of me. So there's a bit of bakery going on. So we've got um, traditional Scottish oat cakes actually from a business up in, in the Highlands that is a good example, I think, of businesses in Scotland. They're selling a bit locally and it's landed on my uh, table here just now. They're also selling to the US and elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, I've got a cider here as well from, uh, I think this business is, I'm pretty sure it's Dundee, Tayside area. And you know the whole craft drink sector has just been unbelievable. I mean, it's totally exploded the last few years. Um, and it was a story of kind of craft beer and obviously whiskey and gin, but now it's cider and it's rum and there's even a Scottish business producing tequila now, which might be dangerous on a Saturday night. Oh, I didn't know that, yes. actually. Yeah. Although, to, yeah, tequila hasn't always agreed with me. No, so uh... no. Apparently you're supposed to sip it and not... Uh, oh, OK, yeah. that's where I've been going wrong. <laughs> yeah, Dr drink it sensibly, Anna, that's what's been going wrong. Um, and then uh, some homemade jam here as well, Tabery uh, jam, just from the farm shop up the road. And clearly knowing well my weakness on the food front is uh, uh, a slab of cheese here from Kintyre. Uh, and I think for me, and I'm a, I'm a total bias on cheese, right? So I'm a cheese fanatic. Cheese is to food what whiskey is to drinks. There's so many different varieties and types and taste and story in behind them. And I used to be a cheese fanatic at Christmas, kind of traditionally, and I've found it's a year-round pursuit uh, now. So as well as some smoked salmon here, and we've got some uh, sliced beef as well. So you are going to keep me going for some time with all of this. We apologise if any specific sector of food and drink was missed out of that basket. We didn't send you very much alcohol because it's only lunchtime. Um, but I, I think what it does is provide a bit of a, a flavour ha -ha, um, of, of everything that's available in Scotland and, and the quality. You've mentioned it already. You know, Scotland is a country that doesn't just produce food and drink. It produces quality food and drink. And I think that that is absolutely critical. Um now, the one thing that we we couldn't find, actually, at the, the, the well-known farm shop near Edinburgh that we went to for this basket of goodies, we couldn't find a crystal ball to, to send you. So I'm hoping you've got one already, because um, I'd love to hear from you about 
partly about Scotland Food and Drink as an organisation, but broader than that as well, the food and drink sector in Scotland, Scottish Food and Drink Fortnight, you know, everybody involved in the food and drink sector. Where are we going? And and if, if we imagine that you and I are having, hopefully we'll speak again before this, but if we imagine that you and I are having another conversation in five years' time, what will we be talking about, do you think? Hopefully it won't be pandemics. That, so let's park that one for, for a minute. But what else do you think we'll be talking about in five years? Oh, that's a particularly cruel question, given, as you said, there is no crystal ball available. So it's interesting. So coming into 2020, if you'd asked me this, so instead of go, before we go ahead... Uh, five years, let's go back eight months. Uh, and if you said start of 2020, how are things looking? And I said, well, we've got, you know, we're in a nation of phenomenally diverse products, really talented uh, producers, and we've got a growing brand. Brexit's coming around the corner. I'm a wee bit scared about that. I'm losing a bit of sleep about that. But do you know what? You know, we've got through worse. We'll just have to roll with the punches uh, and manage that situation. COVID's come along uh, and ripped the rug under a lot of what uh, was happening. You know, we reckon, you know, probably three billion pounds wiped off the value of the sector. So that's, you know, at least 20 percent of that. But actually stepping out of that crisis stuff, what makes Scotland's food and drink story exciting? Well, it's the same things I just mentioned. Producers, products, reputation, quality. Um, Where's the world heading in food and drink? I think increasingly people want to know the story behind their products. They want the assurance that you know, not only are they high quality and high welfare, but increasingly that they make a positive contribution to the planet, not a negative one. And that's a real change that's coming. You talked about veganism earlier on, Anna, and plant-based stuff. Actually, a lot about that is about climate change. So actually, how do we produce climate-friendly food? How do we become the world's most sustainable, climate-friendly producer of beef? And I think that's doable. So let's go ahead five years. I think we have taken this local food culture on leaps and bounds. I think the default of most of our main hotels and bars and restaurants will be to start with a Scottish menu and those that don't do it will find they're going to have empty chairs and empty tables. I think that we're going to see even in you know big retailers which will go through a dramatic change. I think the supermarket sector will go through a dramatic change as it tries to adjust to online and, and, and the competitiveness between them. But I think Scottish will be, will be a critical part of that. And I think the reputation that whiskey has globally as being Scotland's great export will be shared by a whole suite of other products as well. So that in the midst of coming through, you know, the first wave of a pandemic might seem dramatically naive or overly optimistic, but I have to say I'm pretty unbowed when it comes to the opportunities that Scotland's facing. I still think if you want to find a country anywhere in the world to take forward a farming sector, fishing sector, food and drink sector, you'd want to land in Scotland. You'd want to start from here. Uh, and I think that's the huge opportunity we have. There's going to be hurdles and bumps coming along the way. I didn't see COVID coming. I did not see it coming. I've seen a TED talk with Bill Gates predicting it uh, a few years ago. The man is smarter than I am and most other people because I didn't see it coming. And I guarantee in 10 years time or five years time when we look back, there'll be a whole heap of other things that came at us that we didn't see coming. But if we try and stay the course and recognise our strengths and, and what customers here and around the world want, I think we're going to be in a good place. Yes, uh, yeah, you're right. I think, uh, as we've seen, COVID has is positive is not a word we want to associate with COVID, but there have been many silver linings, and and that the support for Scottish and locals definitely be been one of them. I suppose a slightly fairer. The, the, go on. The go interesting. On. I think one of the interesting angles, though, is what this means. What does the future mean for farming? You'll be 
sat in a house on a farm just now, I suppose, looking out the, the window at the rain, if it's any like where it is at the moment, which is never yes. good during harvest. But, Pouring. you know, just the, va- the vagaries of the unpredictable for, for you and the family in rain and weather and events that are out of your control. And I think a large part of farming's future is about how do we regain more of that control. I think we're in a country that produces high quality. I think if we have a farming industry that thinks it produces a commodity, I think we're done. I think we'd be better just shutting up the shop. I think we're much, we've got to think hard about premium markets and, and, and what we're doing. And I sense that there's a generation of farmers coming through that want to move beyond that kind of support structure and the state telling them what to do and actually grab that market thing. And whilst I would be unashamed in saying the food and drink store in Scotland has been a success, it has been a good thing, I'm not sure that success has filtered down enough and, and um, resulted in real changes or positivity necessarily at the farm gate. And that that we've got to change. And I'm convinced that's about you know farmers and process and all that working much more closely together. So I think that's doable. But you know before we, we think it's all rosy and it's just uh, opportunity to be grabbed, I think real change in agriculture is coming and I think it'll be a good thing. Yeah, well, and I think if, if anybody wasn't a fan of yours before you just said that last bit within the farming sector, I think they will be now, James, because I think... There are many people listening, farmers and people working in the farming sector listening who love what they do, but sometimes feel a bit underappreciated. And I think uh, to hear you say that, I think is very welcome. And there are changes to come. You know, they might be technology related. We just bought a robot, a robotic lawnmower because my farming husband never has time to mow the lawn. But, you know, by the time our children are, are, are our age... He's going to have a robotic tractor, maybe even before then, which means that he can spend less time sitting on a tractor seat and more time running a business and, and developing that business and looking to the future. And if many people are like that, then then so much the better. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. But but, but looking looking just briefly into the future, um, and I don't, I certainly don't want to to um, devalue Scottish Food and Drink Fortnight because it's fantastic and we're in the midst of it right now and we want everyone to engage. But there are kind of other key times coming up. Um, in a couple of months, it's St Andrew's Day. There's usually something going on to celebrate Scottish food and drink then. And then, of course, we've got Christmas after that. So what have you got in the pipeline in terms of other uh, other activities? So at the moment, we've been working really hard on thinking what a recovery plan looks like for, for the sector and working hard with government in, in and around that. So... Before COVID kicked off, we developed a whole programme which we called Regional Showcasing. So it was in different parts of Scotland trying to bring the hospitality industry together with producers in their area. So uh, food tourism is growing all over the world and we're seeing agri-tourism flourish in in parts of Scotland as well. The, The future of the tourism sector and that industry has been hit harder than any over the last uh, uh, few months. But the future of the tourism industry is gonna be intrinsically linked to the future of the food and drink industry. And the more we can do that kind of bringing together of producers and uh, the people who are selling food and drink to punters up and down the country, the better it will be. And we'll do more of that. And that might mean we're doing virtual, uh, you know, meet the buyer events rather than the physical events we did uh, did before. We're gonna have to put a bit of effort into 
Uh, and I really don't want to use the word Brexit because I've used it once already and it makes me honestly reach for this bottle of cider you kindly delivered and probably finish it well before I get close to tea time. Um, but that's coming. So we, we know that's coming. So let's get prepared for it. And we need, we're going to put in some support uh, around direct business advice for companies that need to work out how they might have to change things. What labels can they use after uh, the 1st of January? It sounds incredibly boring, but you know, hey-ho, it's pretty important stuff. So there's going to be a lot of activity happening. We're starting to rebuild some of the work we were doing uh, internationally. And I think there's a really interesting big project which has kind of started and will continue about what does brand Scotland mean. You know, I've looked at countries like New Zealand that have a brand mark, the fern mark that sits on products that, that leave New Zealand to go to other countries. I've seen uh, Scandinavian countries do it on their seafood. I think Scotland has a brand doesn't have a logo or a mark and goodness knows if you pick up the average pack in a supermarket it's drowning in different labels but there is something about brand Scotland that I think we can harness and really take on to the next level uh, and building the whole kind of e-commerce digital piece in that I would love someone to pick up any of the products I've got just now, scan the QR code with the phone and get the story. Hear, the, hear direct from the producer, see the farm it came from, and all that technology is available to us. So that's a very waffly answer to what was a very straightforward <laughs> question. Uh, the summary is lots going on and lots happening. And yes. you know, you mentioned St Andrew's Day, you mentioned Christmas, Burns comes rapidly on the back of that, stuff we do around Valentine's, then you're hitting Easter, and before you know it, another year of our lives has, has ticked on. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times during this the word storytelling, which is, of course, music to my ears because that's exactly what this podcast is trying to do. Why do you think it's important that people do listen to the stories that we put across in this podcast? People connect with people, uh, and that's true in Scotland as it is anywhere else. And when you connect with people, you connect with their products. And if you can bring that human side to what is happening, you know, the story that sits behind what they might see on a shelf or on a menu, it transforms people's view of it and they, they create an attachment to it, which is different actually than almost any other product you can buy anywhere. And whether that's telling stories through the podcast or telling stories via social media, it's unbelievably powerful and it's way easier to do than most people think. You don't overthink it. You know, a tweet here, a wee story there goes a huge, huge way. Our thanks to James Withers from Scotland Food and Drink. Do look out for all things happening over the next two weeks for Scottish Food and Drink Fortnight. And thank you so much for being with us for this episode. Remember to follow us and share tweets at on underscore farm UK. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. And we are very much open to hearing from you if you'd like to sponsor future episodes of On Farm and get your brand out there amongst our listeners. We'll finish up with two or three minutes setting out the possible benefits to you, so just get in touch to find out more. Hi, hello there, it's uh, Farmer Jim here. Just want to say thanks for tuning in and listening to the podcast. I've wanted to be on this podcast for ages, (laughs) so I'm really excited that you're now finally here. I can now see a mini conveyor belt going and a really large tractor just heading right for us at the moment. Don't worry, we've got the high vis on. You can see that we've planted um, hedges along there and then as we look down towards the River Yugi in the distance there, you can see little bits of uh, woodland and full of native trees and things. We're all about positivity but realism at the same time. I want us to still be here in 10, 15, 20 years' time when podcasting is totally mainstream. Then when it comes in to get herself out of the sky, she will dangle her legs, wiggle her bum and get herself back into this arena with a beautifully well-timed flight 
had a fantastic finish. There was this old farmer who came up and he stood at the front of the tent because it's, you know, it's labelled the National Rural Mental Health Forum. He came over and said that he tried to take his life and he said he walked up the hill with his gun and the dog put his head on his knee and that's what stopped him. My name's Rory Robb, I'm an associate of the Whistle Company of Farriers and I've spent 40 years learning how to shoe horses. <laughs> the truth of the matter is that you never stop learning. Thanks to the contributions from the Royal Highland Society and everybody else who's taken part in our podcasts up to now, they have enabled us to gain what's actually quite a powerful position because we're in the weekly routine for hundreds of farmers. They listen to our podcast. They've got it on auto-download and it's there every Monday morning for them to listen to. I was not a podcast listener before this all started. It's actually opened up another avenue for people to understand what we do. We've got a direct line straight to these people. So on the Saturday morning, we had to go out into a ring and stand with this sheep and then uh, Her Majesty herself came along which is a big honour, a big honour to shake hands and meet her like. And was she as honoured to meet you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anybody who's listening who has a business or a brand that they think would benefit from sponsoring on farm or working in association with us like RAS have done, please get in touch. You know, we've, we've got the ability now to share your messages. We can reach the audiences. You would benefit from having your brand associated with Own Farm. A podcast gives you 35 minutes of depth of content, and I think that's so valuable. So if there's a, a project story that needs to be told or a family story that needs to be told or a product that needs to be described, podcasts, you can do that in a way that, that other mediums just simply can't. So I think that's what it's about. It's about telling proper stories in an easily digestible way that everybody can understand and enjoy. If you are an organisation who wants to reach a rural audience, if you're an organisation, a company or someone with a story to tell, if you want to get in touch about how you might be involved, please do. It brings a bit of glamour do the almond field like you can. Oi, oi. Floss! Floss! That dumb dog. Spot on. <laughs>